Veteran Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together, each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday mornings come around again, and it's time for Let's Talk Gardening. Yes, it is. It's time for Let's Talk Gardening, and it's my great pleasure to be sitting in for Ray this week. And sitting opposite me, of course, is the lovely Faye Caro. Here we go, two hours of wonderful things that I'm fascinated by, as you know, Faye, since I have recently bought a house with enormous gardens, and it's just a treasure trove of, of excitement. Every time I come home from work, I just spend my time in the garden. I found a new hobby. Oh, that's wonderful, Chris. Yeah. Well, you would not be alone there. <laughs> There's many gardeners out there, and yes, well, hopefully we can help you today. I've got you for two hours, you so have. we can... Uh, we can see what we can do to Let's help in your garden. Do. And if you've got something you want to ask Faye this morning or one of her guests, we'll talk about the guests in a moment, remember the number, keep it handy, 94841927. Or if you can't wait on the phone, send us an email to gardening at curtainfm.com.au. Who's on the show, Faye? We have a two-bob show yeah, today. That's the second bob. time I've done that, and I didn't even realise straight away <laughs> what it would be. Well... Uh, first of all, mm-hmm. we decided that we would have Bob Hunter from the Cactus and Succulent Society. He's also the chair of the Horticultural Council, and he has a wealth of knowledge. Now, one of the things that I've recently become aware of is that if you're creating a low-water-use succulent garden, mm-hmm. there comes a time when some things tend to outgrow their space. They grow bigger than we thought they would. Some of the the single-headed plants get too big and they get tall. They actually have to be beheaded, Chris. Mm. So you've got to be cruel to be kind. So uh, telling our listeners what they need to do and how to go about it and maybe when to go about it. So redoing a, a succulent garden, and you may have to do that every few years to refresh it. What is a succulent garden? I mean, are we talking cacti primarily? They don't know. There are many cactus um, that have spines. Uh-huh. There are, oh, we'll get the rundown Bob, from yeah. Bob on this, but the succulents don't tend to be spiky. Okay. So, well, they can be a safer option. And then there's the jungle cactus, which are <laughs> ripsalis. And then there's stapeliads and serapegias. Oh, my goodness. There's a whole world out there. It's exciting. <laughs> By the look on your face, that's true. It must be. And we'll find out more from Bob when he comes. I must say, in this house that I bought with its gardens, it's full of cactus. Is it really? Yeah, I've taken a lot of them out. Well, do you know, many of them would probably be desirable and collectible, Chris, mm. so I hope you haven't just binned them. No, a couple I did because they were just old and gnarly and they weren't doing too well and they were stuck <laughs> in the corner of the garden and I thought, I'll do you a favour. But the other ones, no, I know what well, you mean. Some of them no, are gorgeous. you know, the funny thing is I went to a garden club meeting last weekend mm. and across the road was a young man named Mark. Now, I met him many years ago when he was growing flowers in Oakford Mm. and his parents, Liz and Don, were great gardeners and, in fact, our garden club had a meeting there. 
blow me down when I walked into this garden. Out came this man and he looked at me and he goes, G'day, Faye. <laughs> and I went, oh, my goodness. I'd wondered where they, they were uh-huh. after they moved. Their property got reclaimed. And um, he he's selling succulents now and has this amazing collection, many of which are desirable. Now, mm-hmm. one he had sitting undercover so it doesn't get water. Its name is Boris. And Boris is old and gnarly mm-hmm. and many people would look dead and undesirable. But no, not at all. It turns out that it is a crested stapheliad mm-hmm. and I was able to identify it and let him know because... No, nobody else had been able to. Of course, I got the help of um, Bob from the Cactus and Succulent Society. But beauty is in the eye of the beholder, Chris. Yeah, true, and true. this gnarly, um, darkened specimen in a pot, to many people, would look dead. But no, desirable, collectible, unique. I was going to say, and full of character. Item. The hardest thing, I think, is to get the roots out. The ones that we've got have just got these massive root systems and they're very hard to dig out. Oh, it's the prickles that make things hard, isn't it? Certainly. Mm. Certainly. But, but there's I... ways of managing them, like your big welding yeah. gloves and wrapping them with newspaper absolutely. and fabric and yep. got to get smart. Yeah, absolutely, because they can be very damaging. Some of them are, look ex- extraordinary. Some of all sorts of shapes and sizes. Them and uh, ficuses, we've had a lot of those in the garden as well. But I've preserved some, but as I said, some of the older ones are gone. Now, I am still confused. Define for me, what sort of plants are succulents? Fleshy. Mm-hmm. They store their, their moisture in their leaves. Ah. So, so is aloe vera? Yes. Ah, now yes. I'm on the same track. So there's aloes, there's sempervariums, there's calanchoes, uh, ripsalis, uh, agaves. Mm. It's just <laughs> oh, it's a whole new world. And yep. they are part of a new trend called zeriscaping. Well, it's probably not really new, but arid gardening. You yeah. know, we're moving into climatic conditions yep. that are hotter and drier. Mm-hmm. As much as we need our native plants, if people are looking for something a little bit different, they've got small spaces, they want architectural plants, succulents and cacti can be the way to go. I tell you what we have done, taking so many plants out um, and some of the cactus as well, we've put Australian natives back in. Excellent. Things like Excellent. Uh, kangaroo paws, things like that. Well, And that's a great idea. And where you are, the spearwood, spearwood yeah. uh, coastal, choosing plants that suit that environment, that are endemic to the area. Native plants bring native bugs, birds, etc. And bees. <laughs> Yesterday was World Bee Day, Chris. Was it? It was. Today's International Tea Day. Yesterday was World <laughs> Bee Day. How lovely. Bees, not Bee Day. No, we're not talking about the French one. And there's your book. Yes. Tell me about your book. Well... Some years ago, I, well, you know that I spend my life wandering around the garden yeah. and bush photographing anything that moves. I'm up to 695 species on our property, which identified 2,000 observations that I've loaded up to iNaturalist. But one of my fascinations has been the blue banded bees, tracking them, looking for the males, where they sleep, and they, they roost together at night on a stem. In the warm months, so they're they're quiet at the moment. The nests are built in the ground. 
of the females, mm-hmm. which is solitary. Anyway, I created this book using photos that I'd taken at home and I did it for my grandson. But yesterday being World Bee Day, mm-hmm. I'd woken up in the middle of the night and I'd kind of worked out how I could share this book with everyone and I thought yesterday was the day to get it out there. Uh, the link for the photo bookshop program I was able to share on my Facebook page, mm-hmm. which is Faye Arcaro. And anyone that clicks on that photo, you don't have to buy the book. Uh, in fact, there's a mistake or two in there. So that's why I hadn't really taken it any further. Mm-hmm. I haven't got the right format to print it on mass, but you can view this on a computer. So you just click on yep. the photo and opens the book and you can then open it in your viewer of Windows mm-hmm. or macbook or whatever uh-huh. that's a bit in excess of my understanding but you can then view it on a computer like a, a digital book so people could read it to their grandchildren which was the the way that it was designed it's very simple but it's got everything that i know about the blue band of bees mm-hmm. in a simple easy to understand format i mean they are only one of 2000 bees that we've got in australia and they're different from other bees. So Jim was telling me that he's got the bug hotel and that all the holes are filled. And I said, well, there won't be any blue banded bees in there mm-hmm. because they have a different mode of nesting. So We've got bees at the bottom of the garden. They, we've got a massive basil at the bottom of the garden on the fence line. And it, the basil is always full of bees every day. And they're the honeybees, I'm assuming, Chris? You can assume because I don't know. <laughs> well, if, if you're saying loads of bees, yeah. the common common ones they're the introduced european honeybees mm-hmm. so they either come from a managed hive or they've set up a hive in bushland or someone's compost bin yeah. or whatever but our native bees are more so solitary so they don't they don't live in a hive they may nest in cavities yeah. some nest in the ground and they're quite small so you might see a little insect digging at the ground or flying in and out of the same space. Mind you, you've got to really get your eyes in. And that's the thing about the blue-banded bees. There are plants that they are attracted to, the geisha girl being one of them, lantanas are another, uh, and a snake vine, big yellow flowers. If you stand at those bushes on a hot summer's day, there's every chance that it won't be long before a blue-banded bee comes along. Wow. Now, we've, we've put in a worm farm, and I'm, the next thing I want is a bee motel or something like that. I want a beehive. If I provided that, would these bees that are presently buzzing around the basil, okay. would they likely take up residence? They, they may do. And, uh, you know, bees swarm if they're not managed in hives properly. So you could end up seeing a whole cluster of bees, a swarm of them that, that rests uh, for a short time on mm. on a tree somewhere close by, they could be collected and they could be set up in a hive and you could collect your own honey. Okay, so that's the introduced European honeybees. The flip side is our native bees, of which there are 800 in WA. Mm-hmm. So you can set up a bug hotel. And the beauty of these is you can monitor a plethora of insects You won't get blue-banded bees in there and you won't get the ground-nesting bees, but you may get the cavity-nesting bees. But then once you've got them, you may also get the solitary mud wasps, Mm -hmm. 
that won't sting you. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are also wasps that take over the nests of other bees and wasps. So there are cuckoo wasps and they're like a piece of jewellery, green, metallic, blue, and they shimmer. And that just tells us that we've got enough to support that next level of biodiversity. So it's a bittersweet discovery because they will take over the nests of bees and wasps. Mm. But to bring bring that next level and this is what it's all about biodiversity Mm -hmm. we need to protect our biodiversity this is why i bang on about people not using pesticides to nuke everything in their garden because you don't know what you're killing same as fungicides how true there's a whole zoo beneath our feet chris absolutely i have a short story when we lived in mosman park many years ago and my daughters were very young uh, in fact, I think the second one was just freshly, newly born, freshly born, newly born. <laughs> the older one, we had a, a cubby house down the bottom of the garden. And this swarm of bees swept in one morning and she's down on the cubby house. And it's suddenly surrounded by the swarm. And I had to put a jacket over my head and rush out and grab her and bring her out. Uh, it was the most extraordinary experience, but it was wonderful to see them in the trees around that area. And you can hear the hum when they're oh, moving yeah. through. And you know what? They probably wouldn't have stung either of you. The times when a bee will sting, you know, you might be reaching in to grab something, a gate or something, and and it accidentally catches under your hand. Mm. Or if you are posing a threat to their hive, they're protecting their honey, and you you hear the buzz change. Mm. It's like a it's an angry buzz. I've, Keep away. I know. I've I've Beware. experienced this when I've got too close to our hive, uh-huh. and there will be one that wants to give a warning and they they try and get under my hair to my head. So I hear this high-pitched buzz and I'm like, oh, shaking my head around and waving and running madly into the house to get in front of the mirror and, you know, get the hairbrush and I'm shaking and running the fingers through my hair. And they try and get to my head Mm. to sting. Mm. I've been stung a couple of times. Mm. Angry bees. Not nice, but you tolerate (laughs) those sort of things. Listen, I've been asking you all the questions. Please remember, good luck gardeners out there. You can talk to Faye this morning on the telephone. You can email us. 94841927. 94841927. Don't leave your calls till later. If you've got to go out and vote, great. If you want to call now before you go and vote, good. One, uh, four, <laughs> or emails to gardening at curtainfm.com.au. We will be back. It's 20 minutes past eight. Curtain Radio. It's 22 minutes past eight. We're talking gardening here on Curtain FM. You are most welcome to the program. Faye is here to take your calls and I'll Drop in where I can, if I can make some sense. One more question I want to ask you about your beautiful book, which is online. What sort of technical equipment are you using to take those fabulous photos? <laughs> I have a, a camera, a Nikon D610, mm-hmm. and the macro lens, which I've had for more than 10 years now. When I first got the SLR camera, I, I found that I needed something that when I pressed the trigger, it fired mm-hmm. and the pocket cameras weren't doing that and, and and like your phone cameras won't do that either quite often. Um, but when I got that camera, I wasn't able to get in close. So that's when I got the macro lens, which was about a thousand dollars and I just love it. Like yeah. 
we we stick together. It, it takes you into a, into, a, into a world that you can't see, of course, with the naked eye. Your camera, is it through the lens that you're seeing or have you got a, a screen on the back? I, I look through the lens. Yeah, I much yes. prefer that. Mm. You can really see it for yourself. Oh. Um, the things you tend to miss when you're just looking at the screen on the back of the body of the camera and when you go through it, yeah, you can search and look and get a much better focus and get in and out to what you want. One of the photos I have here, Chris, I was watching a blue-banded bee resting and, and readjusting itself on a stem mm. one day in the garden, and it hung around for ages. You know, often they don't. They sort of buzz here and there, but I watch them all the time. And I took this photo of the bee with its tongue out, uh -huh. and when I got it up onto the computer, um, a long time later... Yeah. I discovered that it was blowing a bubble. So the bee itself was just over a, a centimetre in size mm -hmm. and we could see its tongue and the bubble that it was the blowing. Detail. Just a, another question. Do you have a big screen TV at home or just a normal size? Uh, it is a big screen, 70 inch. Have I you ever think? plugged your computer into the back of it so that you can, no. you can no. take those pictures up to the big size and have a look at them? <laughs> And I take over that. the whole house so oh, that nobody can miss looking at my photos. Well, well, exactly, but you should <laughs> plug it into the back. Get the um, oh, trying the to remember USB the name of the cable, or... the USB cable, and just take one to the other, and then oh. uh, go to your HDMI. Plug it into the get a USB to HDMI cable. Plug it into the back, and then you'll be able to see them in the biggest size. Mm. Every time somebody comes to visit, would you like to see my pictures of bees? Well, I don't even have to ask them; they'll just be there. <laughs> That's where they should be. Uh, um, I noticed that Bob uh, is going to message. We're trying okay. to contact uh, Bob Hunter, our first guest this morning, but we're not getting through at the moment. Hope you're listening, Bob. You might let us get through to your mobile number, then we can get you in on the program. But tell me a little bit more about Bob Longmore, who's coming up in the second hour. Do you know what, Chris? I I've got the wrong number in the wrong place here. That's why Bob's. Uh, why Bev's having trouble because I did two sheets uh -huh. and um, so that's why if Bev wants to come in I can give her the, okay. the number. Bev can you hear me? Are you listening Bev? Come in Bev. Or even John. John pop in with you we need to give you um, uh, the right number for our first guest please. Come on in we're ready for you whenever you're here he is. And a quick passing of paper from one person to another and we move right along. In your book which is your favourite your favourite picture? Your favourite of favourite of favourite, not the bubble blowing one. The, that that is really up there. But I don't I don't do favourites, Chris. It's like okay. choosing favourite children. But yeah. there is one there that I won a competition with, and it is a bee in flight heading in for a flower. Okay, we have a call uh, waiting for us. So while we're waiting for Bob, let's see if we can catch up with Tanya down in Safety Bay. Good morning, Tanya. Good morning. How are you? Very well, and you? I'm fine, thank you. Now, I've just I've heard that bentonite clay is very good to put on your lawn to absorb the water. So I was just wondering if that's right and how do I go about doing it and when? Uh, Tanya, um, oh, that just honestly gives me a headache. The, th the thing about bentonite clay is, yes, it will hang on to the water. They use it to line dams. And it can create a layer, like it clumps together. The last thing I would do would be putting bentonite clay on your lawn. So what what are you trying to achieve? Because I'm, I'm sandy lawn and I thought maybe if I put clay it had, uh, and um, it would actually go between the sand. Okay, all right. Okay, I... 
what I would be using in that case would be a kaolin clay. Uh, you you could use the bags that come with compost and that will help. And even to an extent, if you're looking at um, revitalising your lawn, create, making it level, a layer of a lawn blend, they often have clay in them and that would add a, a, a small amount of clay to the okay. soil. So you recommend the lawn blend? The lawn blend will will be something that gets done once a year. Uh, I would go, if, if it hasn't been done by now, it's too late. I did mine about a month ago. And what that does is even out divots and it's a, it's got a bit more than sand in it. So often it has ginger red loam. There'll be some clay in there and the... The lawn gets a bit of a boost from it without affecting things too much. Um, it, it helps it become more level. So I would apply that spring when the when it warms up and the grass starts growing a little bit. Brilliant. That was lovely. Thank you very much. You're welcome, and Tanya. I would be able to get that in the normal shops, wouldn't I? Uh, well, for lawns, you probably need more than bags, so I would go to one of the, the soil yards and you'd probably want a trailer load. How, how, oh, a trailer load? Mm. Okay, great. Then, or, or depends then, how much lawn you've got, of course. Then, Tan, you need to find somebody to help you just level it all out across the lawn then because that's a lot of hard work, believe you me. <laughs> yeah, I will be getting someone well, to help me out. I'm what, 74. What you do, you get a wheelbarrow, you... From the soil yards, they usually have free trailer hire, uh, a shovel with a big head on it, rounded head, so that you can load it up. And then you place that in piles around the lawn and level it with the back of the rake. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Go to it, Tanya. Get a trailer load and get easy peasy on the lawn. I'm 74. I'm not going to do that. I've got to get someone to do it for me. Good on you. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for calling. Bye for now. Bye. It's 29 minutes past eight already, and our first guest is with us this morning. I'm really happy to uh, welcome Bob Hunter to the program. Morning, Bob. Morning, Chris. How are you going? Oh, you in... morning, morning, Faye? Morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finally got here. Yeah. Yes, sorry, my fault. I've I've got my bobs mixed up and... <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, and when I, when I was trying to ring you guys, I finished up with one of the other radio stations as well. So oh! That, oh. an interesting morning already. Heaven forbid we wouldn't like to think of you were ringing anywhere else at the moment, Bob. I take, I take full responsibility. You're interested in talking to me either, so here we go. <laughs> we are. We're very interested to talk to you, Bob. Ah, so, so, Bob, we've got you here today because I've become aware that many people who may set out to install a, a succulent garden down the track might not be aware of how to manage them. Correct. Yep, and, yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, when, um, I think when, apart from the, the, the people who put their, their, their lovely succulent garden on their verge or right in their front garden and then everyone else decides they like it and decide to take it home. Um, You've you got to think about little things like that. But more importantly, um, these things do, and particularly when you've got people put things in the garden and they've had them in pots for a while and and they when they're in a pot, they kind of don't get to grow to their full potential. As soon as you put them in the ground, you can almost see them have a big sigh and, and stretch their 
you know, deep breath and stretch their, their arms out or whatever it is that these guys have got and, and go, thank you, and off they go, and they grow to their full potential well and truly. And, um, and, and the other thing when people set up a garden is quite often they, they're not aware of what that full potential is going to be, and sometimes um, things grow, they grow really well and they might overcrowd other things or they might block others from the light or uh, even so I've got a, a big um, tree at the back near one of my gardens and it's grown significantly on the um, sort of the northwestern side of the garden since I've um, put it in so now it almost gets too much shade for some of these plants so you've got to think of those, those sorts of things as well and of course things just some things do get ugly some things get um they they die or they get really you know um, disease bits of water on them too so they do they do they they need a darn good um going over sometimes and uh but the, the, the thing that a lot of people have got to be just holding in mind is that these guys want to grow and they are almost in a lot of cases bomb proof i've seen plants in the wild and okay, they don't look as pretty as some of the ones in 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 our gardens and that because they don't get water and all that sort of stuff. But they've been kicked out of the ground by by human animals or um they they've been growing on the edge of a cliff and that's just about completely eroded away. But they're still hanging in there and they'll still grow. And even things that have been kicked out of the ground for twelve months, they'll manage in the end to get a little root in a crack of it in a rock or something and off they go again they, they grow funny because they're lying on the ground and then they grow upwards but they're still alive so don't get it don't be afraid to do some fairly drastic things to these plants in in, in cases too so speaking of up. drastic the ones that i think that come to mind are the ones that you must behead after a number of years which ones yeah, are those yeah. bob well, you've got you've got a couple. You've got um, things like the echeverius and the, uh, the the succulents like that. And just just to, to 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 help with with Chris's slight confusion early on, all of these plants are succulent. They all store water, as Faye said, in some part of their body, um, and they come from lots of continents around the world. Some of them come from the Americas, and they've got prickles on them, and they're called cactus. So. Um, but they're all succulent. So, and and yeah. So these guys, um, when they're um, uh, some of them naturally, as they grow, the growing bit uh, keeps growing, and the the old leaves are actually get to the stage where they're no longer needed, and they'll either just die off and hang on the stem, or they drop off, and so you've got a bare stem, and it uh, and and it look, doesn't look too. Too desirable, and it sometimes completely upsets the design of a garden. So yeah, and some of these things, like the echeverias, um, when the, when the weather starts to get a little warmer, if you take off that top bit with about, oh, I'll, I'll say an inch in the old money, you know, a couple of centimetres of stem, um, quite often if they've been going for a while, you'll actually see some air roots coming out of them already along that stem up there. And you take it off and you put it in a in a bright place. I usually put it onto um, head up um, onto some some mesh or something like that, so that the stems hanging underneath, and let and it will form roots, 
and uh, and then you can replant it, and it's much closer to the ground. And the other thing is it usually also grows much more robustly for a while. It's a much more vigorous growth. But the other thing is that if you want to, you can leave that stem in the ground or in a pot, uh, and it'll then form little babies, little offsets, all round the top of the top of the stem where you cut it off and then eventually you can take those off and it's another way of propagating them. Um, and another group of plants that quite often get rangy and tall and untidy are the aeoniums and uh, they'll, they'll do the same thing. They just get taller and taller and taller and you've got these um, long stems and a nice, nice big head and even to the point where that if it's growing well the big head gets too heavy almost and the plant will start to to fall, you know, lean over, and where they touch the ground, quite often they'll actually layer, and off you go, and uh, and you, you get more plants. But they're not at that stage very friendly to the design of a, you know, of your average succulent garden. So again, uh, in the warmer weather, no, no, sorry, with the ioniums, when they they are in our climate uh, winter growers, winter showers off, if you like. In other words, over our really hot summers. They look like a stick with a wizened up, dried up head, and you'd think it's almost think it's dead, um, because that's the way they they live in um, the Canary Islands and places like that over their dry period, and they just hibernate. And then as soon as we get our first rains, you'll notice that that head starts to grow and off it goes again. So they're actually growing over our winter. So um, late in um, in summer and into autumn, you can actually behead those and restart those as well. And again, um, quite often what I'll do is with the, the stem, I'll actually cut it off pretty close to the ground and uh, and they will actually form new plants as well. So you get a nice new um, cluster closer to the ground as well. So there's, there's a number of plants like that that um, quite happily take that sort of treatment, but you've got to get, you've got to kind of do it at the point fairly soon before their active growing period. Um, okay. Well, that's good yeah. to know the, diff- the different plants and their times. So, and you know what? I've just pulled up a heap of aeoniums. I should have just cut them off at the ground, shouldn't I? <laughs> we can cut them <laughs> off the ground and you can save that top bit mm. and uh, reap, reap and, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll start to grow again. Then you've got some nice good-looking plants again, yeah. But when you do these things, Depends a lot on the on the on the timing. I mean, sometimes you don't have a choice, uh, and I've I've had to replant things into um, the ground, uh, bearing in mind again where you live. Where I am in in Kelmscott, I'm on clay, and uh, the ground gets cold and wet and soggy and horrible in winter, and so I've had to build up all my beds and and add things like pumice and perlite and all sorts of other stuff in it to help with the drainage. Um, And then in the middle of summer, uh, a couple of my gardens, they're in the full afternoon sun and a lot of things kind of get fried if they're not fully established. So if you're going to have to do this just before winter, what I've done in the past is I've actually put them in, but I've um, then um, put a cover over it over the winter to keep the rain off so that they're essentially dry over over the winter period until the warm weather comes and they start to grow again. Interesting point. Um, 
but if you if you need to do it just before late spring, mm-hmm. just before it's starting to get hot, the the opposite applies, and I'll put some shade cloth or something like that over it to give it um, you know decent protection over that stinking hot summer summer period that we experience. In uh, certainly I I, I cop up up here in the hills, and um, yeah, and just to give them a chance, a bit of a hand for their first twelve months at least. So, Bob, with people having smaller gardens, um, yep. rather than m- making the mistake and putting in plants that quickly get overgrown, like the aeoniums, what are some yep. varieties that maintain their small size for small garden beds? Well, I think. The first thing you need to do is you actually need to do a little bit of research. I know I've got a big library of um, of cactus and succulent books, but I know that um, hard, you know, ha- um, paper and, and cardboard books these days are not not the way that people generally operate. And so you you do some work online, and you try and find out as much as possible how big some of these plants grow. Um, have a go at identifying them a bit too and look them up and see if you can find that out. The other thing is if you can actually find someone in your general area that's got some of some plants in the ground already, go and have a look at their garden and, and perhaps people, plant people are, as you will know, love to talk plants. And so that's your day. If you're, around, if you're around, two things will happen. One is you stick your head over the fence and you start to talk about their garden and their plants and they'll give you all sorts, oh yeah, I used to have this in there but it was no good there or, or whatever, but that's going well. Um, the other thing is you'll probably come away with some bits. Ah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, Bob. I th- we'll have to leave it there, but great okay, ideas yeah. for sharing information and, and yeah, talking to other gardeners. Don't, don't be afraid, don't, don't be afraid, as you did in your garden, don't be afraid to get in there, if necessary, rip the lot out and start again. Um, <laughs> that sounds and, like um, me, Bob. You get, hold of, you get hold of new plants. And, and Chris, we've all got Boris's, yep. uh, but again, if you rip, you know, cut the top off some of those, they're still alive, where there's life, there's hope, and they'll grow out again and they'll look pretty schmicko for you. Excellent. So, Thank you for yeah. that reassurance, Bob. I really appreciate that. Good <laughs> on you, mate. Right See you later. All right, bye. That was Bob Hunter, the chair of the WA Cactus and Succulent Society, our first guest on Let's Talk Gardening this morning. And I will return with my good friend Frey in just a moment. Uh, Caroline and Alan are on the phone, and we'll be talking to them next. Cactus Radio. 16 minutes to nine. What do you know about wisteria? Mm, they're very pretty. Okay, they well, flower in spring. They're fragrant. Okay, well, I think Caroline and Dianella may have a problem. Good morning, Caroline. Oh, good morning. It's not so much of a problem. Oh. I wasn't sure when to prune it. Okay. I know there's different types, isn't there? The Chinese one and then the Japanese one. There is, and they will go deciduous in winter. Um, yes. You, you would prune to maintain shape. Where yes. Where is yours now, Caroline, and what is it doing? Oh, it's looking very whippy. It's, it was never, it's in a pot because I believe the roots can be quite invasive into, into, um, into, your, found, into your founding under your house, you know? Yeah, okay. Roots, yes. uh, so look, I've kept it in a pot, but oh, it doesn't look real good. I think I would leave it for now because it will be, after it comes out of dormancy, it will be flowering. If you cut it now, 
you may cut off the flowering part. So that's what I would worry. Yeah, about. what I would yeah. do, if anything, is maybe um, pot it into the next size pot so that it's good, got good potting mix. Train it more so. So you might get uh, a ball or make a ball that you could maybe wrap it all around. And then oh, let it flower. I've got it going over oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know that I'll be able to get it out of the pot. All right. Don't worry. And do you know what? Yeah. If the pot is on the ground, it will have its roots go down into the ground. Yeah, I got a bit smart with that and I put a uh, slab underneath it. Right. Okay. So it wouldn't do that because I was it gets right up against the house and I was a bit worried about it getting into the foundations. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do anything now other than feed it in springtime, enjoy the okay. flowers, cut it back after that. Yes. Um, cut back the whippy growth after that. Oh, after it flowers. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, lovely. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Caroline. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, out to Rockingham. Alan, you've been waiting a little while. How can we help? Good morning. Hello, good morning. Um, I've just got a question. I have some... Um, Zanthorias in my in my native garden in Rockingham, yes. grass trees. I just noticed something right inside the crown of two of them, and grape-like sort of grapes um, dislodged inside there. I'm just wondering what they could be. Did you say grapes? Yeah, well, no, they're not grapes, but they're the size of a grape and about the same colour as a red grape, a black grape. Oh, sounds like a growth. My grass trees have. Got um, four or five of these things lodged inside the crown. Right. Are you able to send us a photo, Alan? I am. Yes. All right. That that would be helpful. Uh, I I know that the things that get in ours are leaves, gum nuts, anything falling from above. So is there yes, a? Well, that's, that's that's what I was looking for. Picking out leaves out of the crown to keep them clear, and these blinking things are in there. Uh, whether somebody planted them in there for joke, I really don't know. But I cut one in half and then I take a photograph of them. I've got four on my counter here. Oh, how interesting. Unless a bird has, well, not, they sound too big for a bird to poop in. Um, oh, I, I look forward to seeing a photo. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, send your photo, Bob. Um, sorry, Alan. Sorry, do I send a message as uh, send it as a message? No, because the photos don't come through apparently. So no, they don't. It's got to come as an email yep. to gardening at curtain fm dot com dot au, and got that's C U R T I N. Yes. Okay. Cur curtain as in John Curtain. Okay. Okay. Thank okay, you so okay. much, Alan. Okay. Good bye, to bye. talk to you. Bye. Bye. 12 minutes to uh, 9. And uh, we really are picking up some calls now. This is really good. Don't forget, get your calls in while you can on 94841927. We're still here until, uh, what are we, 10 o'clock this morning. B Hotels. Now, there's a subject that uh, Margaret knows something about. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning. Hello, Hi. Margaret. Um, I'm, yes, fascinated with these B Hotels and uh, would like to know. Uh, how long do they last? Does the when the babies have hatched, and then come the next season, does mum still lay their eggs in the same area of the bee hotel, or different whenever she could find a hollow? Who who cleans out the the hollows 
<laughs> the babies are hatched. Very, very good point, Margaret. Um, when the babies when the babies hatch, they're adults, so there is no infant stage. Mum doesn't hang around to look after them. She she lays the eggs in the cavities. And she creates cells. So she will collect plant resins or leaf material and she collects pollen and or nectar and she makes a bee patty, lays her egg on it, uh, makes a wall for that next cell. Sometimes she leaves a gap between them and they, well, the, the deeper the nesting space, the better. So when I'm creating them in, in a block of wood, I use the longest drill bit that I can find to create the, the cavities. Um, in the winter months, uh, quite quite often the mother bee dies and all that's left is her progeny waiting to open and hatch in the springtime. Uh, mm-hmm. Now in, well, I, I like to call them bug hotels because I don't these days create anything specifically for bees because I'm well aware that we will get the solitary mud nesting wasps and I love the variety of them as well Um, and I like to to look and monitor everything that comes to visit and Margaret they can last for years I tend to keep them out of the weather so like around my veranda especially right near the back door where I can keep a close eye on them and I have a chair set up so that I can sit there with my camera and photograph the comings and goings. Um, over the years, the things that I've created my bug hotels out of, where I've thought nothing visited, I've actually been quite surprised to find evidence or visitation of smaller bees that I could hardly see. Wow. So it's yes. it's mind-blowing. Or even bits of sawdust popping out telling me that there's something inside. Like, just because you don't see something coming and going doesn't mean it's not Mm. there. And you know what? They don't all go from the front either. Sometimes (laughs) they'll sneak around the back or they'll go in the side. It's a wonderful world. It is. I mean, I I don't create things because I want the bees to come. I create something so that I can watch who comes and goes, and it's endless. Mm. Margaret, I could talk all day, but we need to go to a break. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's very interesting. Thank you very much. Pleasure. I'm glad you called. Margaret was calling from uh, Mundaring. Bill's out in Wembley Downs. We're going to talk to Bill in just a moment. Don't go away, Bill. It's uh, about eight minutes now, eight minutes to uh, nine, and we're going to give away our voucher to Bigger Trees in a moment. And we're talking gardening until 10 o'clock. Faye is here, Chris Bartlett in the chair, having great fun this morning, learning more that I need to know so I can get into my garden. I've suddenly become an avid gardener. And why not? It is the best place to spend your downtime. Nothing like getting your hands into the soil. It's very relaxing. Now, before we go to our next call, Faye, I thought we would take this opportunity to give away our weekly $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees. Good old Kerry has got another voucher uh, from her lovely premises up there in Pickering Brook. If you know 
don't think about bigger trees. They specialize in frangipanis and fruit and ornamental trees. And they've got wonderful autumnal plants on display right now. They're open from Thursday to Sunday each week. And you can check them out on Facebook or go to their website at biggertrees.com.au. Now, the question for this morning, and we need your calls if you are... Um, if you haven't won a prize um, in the last 28 days and you are a Curtain Club member, then you qualify for this possible prize. If you are the person who can answer this question, according to Bobby Darren's song, Multiplication, when two butterflies are, let me see if I can say, casting their eyes both in the same direction, what could one little yes start? Shall I pose that to you again? Bobby Darren's song, Multiplication. When two butterflies are casting their eyes both in the same direction, what could one little yes start? Your answers, please, on 94841927 now, and you could be winning a $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees. Meanwhile, while you're calling, we will talk to Bill in Wembley Downs. Morning, Bill. Good morning, young man. I like it. And And young lady. (laughs) Morning, Bill. If only you could see my face, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little older myself, actually. Uh, I've got some onion onion weed in the ground. It looks like onion weed. They have the little little pink flowers on the top and the little bulb on the bottom, correct? Yes, yes. Or Guildford grass. Yeah, whichever. But I got some... Uh, other stuff in the ground that looks like Gilbert grass, but underneath the the, the bulbs that continue on underneath the ground, and when, and when you pull the one out, uh, three or four more sh- shoot up all the time. That's right, because they have little garden. They have little bulbs attached. So yeah. if you're going to dig it up, you can't pull it up. You need to get a trowel under it. And lift it all and then sift out all the little bulbs. But. Um, can you poison that at all, folks? You can. You use um, glyphosate and paint it on. So it's a little bit painstaking, but you will have to do that for some years, probably. Okay, because I've got all over my verge and I've had some backfill off the verge put in behind a retaining wall and now I've got it up on the lawn up the top. Mm, yes, painting each leaf so that it, it goes down and kills the bulb. It will come back because of, because of the other little bulbs there, uh, yes. but it will eventually weaken. So, yeah, well, at the end of the end of the day, I can't see me painting the whole um, verge. No, getting a bobcat and digging it up. Well, but the the problem with that is, it's like when you get a shovel and lift uh, a sod, then if you get the ones on the edge, you you may end up just spreading them all around. Correct. So. Well, what I was saying about the painting is that's if it's in a lawn. But if it's on your verge, oh, is it in the lawn on the verge? Yes, correct. The other thing is to mow it before it flowers and sets seed. And in that case, you are weakening, you're cutting off the leaf stem and that's where the energy goes back to the bulb. So keeping your... Yeah, at the moment they're even uh, seeding and you get all these black seeds on the top. So you have to mow your lawn before that happens? Correct. Yes. Correct. 
Now, what what stuff you can put on there? You were saying you are well. You can't do the whole lawn because it'd kill the lawn as well. Well, so, I'd, I'd rather kill the lawn. It wouldn't make any difference. I would go to the hardware store and see what's available. There would be a range of products. I did go to Waldeck Nursery there, and they just looked at me. <laughs> oh. Right. They, they, sell, they sell stuff over the counter, but they didn't sort of... I, I bought the stuff in there, and they just looked at me and said, uh, yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, You're talking to the wrong person, I think, by the sounds of a bill. Yes, at the... Uh, that's why you called Faye. Yes, that's exactly why I called Faye. Okay. So what, what the problem is, if you use a glyphosate to kill the weed, it's going to kill the lawn as well. Yeah, well, it, uh, on the verge, it wouldn't matter. But that sounds quite drastic. And you know what? You'll probably kill the lawn before you kill the Guildford grass because those seeds will grow up year after year. Yes. They're a scourge. Mm. I'm going to leave that one with you, Bill. <laughs> you you just have to make a decision about how much you're going to kill. All right. So use glyphosate. That will... That will knock both out. Okay. I will have a have a go at that. Have okay. a good weekend, Bill. Indeed, Faye. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for your call. Okay, but Bill. Sorry, you. Quickly, I just want to say, if he's not concerned about the lawn, right. blanketing it initially with black plastic yes. will kill everything underneath I've without using chemicals. Mm-hmm. If he wants to replant, the other alternative is then to put down newspaper smother it and plant on top of that. So you're creating a barrier. The water can still grow through and you can still grow something. Well done, Faye. There's the solution. Wonderful. We're looking forward to more of your calls in the second hour. Who's our guest in the second hour? We have Dr Bob Longmore and we have a winner for our competition, Uh, Chris. Let's wait till after the news and we'll tell them then. Okay. Okay? It is nine o'clock. After the news, we'll come back with the answer to our quiz and tell you who that lucky winner is. So... Here's the weather for today, Saturday the 21st of May. Mostly sunny is the uh, is the forecast. Light winds becoming easterly, 15 to 20 kilometres an hour in the morning and then becoming light in the middle of the day. A 5% chance of rain today, a good day for gardening. The fire danger is low to moderate on the coastal plain and up in the hills and the UV index is set at 3, which is moderate today. I must inform you, and it's been issued by the Bureau this morning, there is a marine wind warning for tomorrow, but they've issued it 24 hours ahead of time to give you good warning. Strong wind warning for the following areas. Perth local waters, the Gascoigne, Geraldton, Lancelin, Perth coast, Bunbury, uh, Geograph, Lewin, Albany, Esperance and Eucla coasts. That is for a strong marine wind warning for tomorrow. The wind uh, is also going to be driving some heavy rain tomorrow afternoon and into the evening with possible thunderstorms. But today, mostly sunny and currently it is 18 degrees in Perth. It's 16 degrees in Mandurah, 19 degrees on Rottnest and the estimated maximum temperature today, 25 degrees. How about that? Here we are into the second hour of the programme already, Faye. We we certainly are, and I'd like to say thank you for the callers that have called in with information yeah. for Bill. Yeah. Murray of Parkerville uses glyphosate with a wetting agent to get rid of the Guildford grass, right. and Wendy of Rockingham used bindi, so it killed the bindi as well as the Guildford grass and clover in her garden. So great tip there. Now, John came in on the break, mm. and he said when the flower goes over or bends over... 
It's doing that when the soil is at its softest and he finds that pulling that out will pull the bulb out. (laughs) He's a fount of information, that man. He is. John the researcher. The other thing, he's come in with a photo. He loves QI, is it? Yeah. And he said the biggest bug hotel in the world is 80 cubic metres. And I looked at this, and there's a plethora of habitat for all sorts of insects. You've got into that word, haven't you? You're oh, like, I yes. love it. <laughs> and um, the problem with that is you, when you create a huge bug hotel, you are creating a smorgasbord for the parasitic uh, wasps okay. and predators. So what I've learned is smaller, more, more frequent ones placed around the place. But they're so opportunistic, they will will nest in a screw hole in a brick wall, uh, gates, timber, furniture, mm-hmm. pergolas, you name it. And they that's just what they do. They go into the borer holes. Carol of Waterman's Bay has also uh, rung in with some information for Bill. Uh, so recommending Sledgehammer, which is an agricultural product now available from Bunnings. Ah, oh, fantastic. Thank Bill's you, listeners. I don't spend much time in that aisle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, we set you uh, a question for um, Curtain Club members, uh, of course, who haven't won a prize in the last 28 days, to make it fair to everybody, so that you could win a $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees in Pickering Brook. And the question I asked was, according to Bobby Darren's song, Multiplication, when two butterflies are casting their eyes in the same direction, what could one little yes start? Do you know the answer? I do now. Okay. It is a butterfly collection. And who's the lucky winner? Robert. Was it Robert? Dear old, we've lost it off the bottom of the screen. I tell you what, listen to the song and then we'll be back. Thank you, Bobby. That's the multiplication song. And you probably heard the lyrics and therefore you would have heard the answer to the question. Uh, what was it uh, when two butterflies cast their eyes in the, both direc- in the same direction? What could they create? A butterfly collection, as Faye said. And the winner of the $75 Bigger Trees voucher was Robert in Hamilton Hill. Well done, Robert. I hope you enjoyed hearing the song. I know Faye did. She was bopping around here in the (laughs) studio. And now is the time for your telephone calls. We are um, looking to contact Bob Longmore, who will join us on the phone in just a moment. But if you've got a question about gardening on this wonderful, wonderful morning, then you should be giving us a call on 94841927. As, uh, well, hang on, let's see. Uh, Yes, Bob is with us now. So hold your calls, and then we'll give you a chance to have a chat to Faye before 10 o'clock when we've had a good chat to Bob. So, Mr. Longmore, Dr. Longmore, good morning. Oh, yeah, how, how are you? Yes, yes, here and waiting. Oh, very good. But Bev had a bit of trouble getting you. I don't know why. Well, I was sitting here quite casually. I've got all my things done this morning. I was just waiting casually, ready to uh, talk to you. And uh, where's the call? Yes, they were late last time. I could be late this time. Never mind. I'm here. You're here, and we're so keen to be able to talk to you because Faye's thrown it at me and said, Chris, you've got questions, because I bought a house recently in Spearwood, uh, Bob, and we've been doing a lot of extensive work in the garden. It was full of all all sorts of stuff, and it needed a lot of cleaning up, but there's a lot of vegetable growing and planting we've been doing, and we've got a lot of trees there. There's a lime tree, an orange tree, a mandarin tree, an olive tree, and an avocado tree, and things don't seem to be really going as one would expect them to, and I thought you would have the answers maybe to many questions I have. The answers, well, it obviously depends upon their form of treatment and whether they're getting uh, fertiliser and all that sort of thing. I think we do have to look after these things. And uh, 
in these sort of strange times we're now living in, I think growing vegetables and fruit is an ideal situation. That's what we thought. It's a a question of getting used to what you've got there. Have a a good inspection and uh, see, you know, generally what the situation... uh, well, let, 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 me, let me give you an overview, Bob. The orange tree's going gangbusters. Wonderful, wonderful product. The lime tree, terrific. But uh, the fig tree, nothing this year. The mandarins seem to be very slow to ripen. Nothing on the olive tree. And the big one that really concerns me is the avocado tree. It's got these sort of uh, cricket ball type fruit on it, but they don't seem to be ripening, and they're all growing on one side of the tree. Well, just leave them there and see what happens. I think patience is the next watchword. Okay. Um, yes, no, you're very lucky. I've managed to kill about four avocado trees so far here. So uh, trying to get them started, but uh, I don't have any luck with those at all. But it's, I mean, your citrus sounds very, very good. Yeah, don't terrific. They, they may need feeding. I don't know what the soil's like there. I think it, would pretty, it can be fairly poor at times, but... The previous owners obviously looked after them. I put them in there. So, uh, yeah, just a bit of feed. Well, we put a lot of um, compost and also a lot of uh, other soil on the top and also some lucerne to be able to keep the area well and truly moist. And as I said, the orange tree is going terrifically well. Couldn't understand why there was no tree, or no fruit on the uh, fig tree, but maybe that's because it's a young tree and maybe it'll yield something next year. And, the, and the, um, the olive tree, I was wondering about actually pruning that back. You could do. Uh, our olive trees, we have several, are hit very strongly by the birds, the 28s in particular. Mm. They massacre the things, but we do have fruit. We had a friend here yesterday picking fruit, so uh, yes, just uh, patience is the big word, Chris, I'll tell you. Oh. You know, patient observation. I go, I go away every um, second week to work, uh, Bob, and I tell you, every time I come back, looking at what my partner has uh, planted in the front and the back garden and seeing the growth is just amazing. So I, 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 I can't believe the sort of things we are now growing and, and so profusely. Bob, I was wondering about talking to Chris about the most sustainable way of growing vegetables these days. Well, I, I, I think, Riz, personally, I think uh, when we first started, Faye, we put in fairly extensive long beds and all that sort of thing. But we are getting much better yields these days, A, from raised beds, which I actually make from either old water tanks or corrugated iron and posts and that sort of thing, or uh, and sometimes convert them to wicking beds, which I'll talk about in a second. The other thing I'm in love with the last few years has been the IBCs. You know, the industrial bulk yes. containers, big yep. things. They are, they are absolutely excellent, especially in our area, because the roots from neighbouring trees like the uh, mulberries and that don't get into them. The only major problem we've had this year with the IBCs uh, have been rats. There's a lot of rats around, and they can climb an IBC quite easily. I think they take it as a mountaineering exercise up the outside. <laughs> Uh, and uh, we we actually put some pak choy in a few uh, months ago, and they took the lot dead easy, and there was holes being dug. Anyway, the last few weeks I've spent putting extra nets on and all that sort of situation, so it's looking good at the moment. But now, the, the, the IBCs, Bob, do you cut the top and the bottom off, or just put the soil inside the IBC? You're going to put the soil inside the IBC, yeah. Personally, what I do is just take the top, top segment off. I have a fairly deep one. And I convert them into wicking beds. 
Right. Now, a wicking bed, I don't know whether you're familiar with those, but a wicking bed, just for general observation. I watch the television and I see uh, all sorts of interesting stuff being done with them. Honestly, they're not really complicated at all. Basically, I drill a hole about, what, 10, 15 centimetres from the bottom, drill a hole in the side, that's going to be the escape hole for water. Then I put in the bottom, I put in uh, PET, you know, PET bottles, mm-hmm. uh, the drink bottles. Mm-hmm. I normally cut triangles in the side so water can get into it, the caps off, put water in uh, there. I use food-grade polystyrene blocks, you know, bits of uh, broccoli boxes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Any any reasonable non-toxic plastic, older tick pipe I sometimes put in, so that you have a void there. I don't think it's necessary to go to the expensive blocks I see some of the people doing with all these marvellous German expanded clay and uh, pipes and all that sort of thing. It's not necessary. If you've created the right void, uh, the right sort of water space, water will be there. You then insert a pipe on the uh, at the corner so you can fill it up. Put a piece of uh, shade cloth over that that sort of bottom that you've created, and then put your uh, soil mix of choice in. And um, you will find that the water wicks up or percolates up through the soil. And uh, the, the brassicas in particular love that sort of situation. But this year we had very good. Uh, zucchinis growing in. We had the aubergines just went gangbusters in there because you're giving them a continual source of moisture. Uh, An absolutely superb system. And, of course, you can do the same sort of thing when you have the uh, raised beds made out of, let's say, I use old corrugated sheets uh, of iron and I put posts in the corner and erect those. And then I put a liner in, a double liner of builder's plastic sheeting and I do the same sort of fill. I, so I collect the old drink bottles and that sort of thing. Anything non-toxic. Mr. Recycling, by the sounds of it, Bob. Very strongly, very strongly. Our whole life here is recycling. I, made, I make bird feeders and that sort of thing, all recycled wire, everything, that sort of situation. Recycling is a great habit to get into. And you've certainly given me some ideas talking about the IBC and how to put the pipe in and all the other things like the um, pet bottles and the polystyrene. That's something I'm really going to do some serious thinking about. The major thing, if I can just say, is often people go on about you've got to get a clean IBCs. Now, the major thing is to make sure they are clean. If you can afford it, get the ones which have had a drink uh, syrup in or something like that. Uh, I've actually used all sorts, but I just make sure they get an absolutely good clean. And the way I used to check was I I would clean them up. I would take the top off, give them a good clean, and then I would put a couple of small fish in, which I've got. And the fish generally survived okay. And that, to me, is an indication that everything's stable, everything's good. What do you clean with, Bob? What do you clean the interior with? I actually just use a detergent, I'll be honest. Uh, A good scrub and a clean... But generally, our, the worst ones I've had, and they were still very good, were ones which had a one of these soil uh, additives, the dye additives, you mm-hmm. know, for wood chips and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They were an absolute so-and-so. I eventually uh, uh, have virtually stopped using those, but I cleaned them up. They're still going good. In fact, they're the ones with all our asparagus in at the moment. So um, 
I've set up quite a few of these, and I'm actually aiming to set up a few more. I think they're the ideal thing for the garden, quite frankly. Good. We want to come back and talk some more to you in a moment about uh, winter planting and the sort of vegetables we can be putting into our sustainable gardens, which are encouraging everybody to develop, and full marks to you. I think it's a fabulous thing. But we'll take a short break. Don't go away, Bob. We'll be back in a moment. It's 23 minutes past nine. This is uh, gardening. Well, that's what we're talking until 10 o'clock. Faye is here, Chris Bartlett in the chair, Ray is taking the weekend off, and Bob Longmore is on the telephone. Bob, can I run a couple of vegetables past you that we planted and see if there's anything we've missed out in our lineup? We've done broccoli, uh, cabbage, uh, cauliflower, broccolini, broccoli, uh, rocket, peas, beetroot. Anything else you'd recommend? Excellent. I would also, I also think at this time of the year, the turnips. Do some of the uh, the nice uh, turnips, Japanese red, purple top turnips and that sort of thing. The turnips are very good. If you like Swedes worth putting in, I, I get best results with turnips. Hey, what about beetroot? Oh, I love beetroot. I yeah, love beetroot. Roasted in the oven, or Maggie makes mm. a beautiful pickle as well. So, no, I, I think that's worthwhile. You've put the peas in. I actually tend this year, these times, to do snow peas and the uh, taller telephone peas. I actually don't get a good look with the smaller, uh, you know, green feast and that sort of thing because for some reason they seem to come up with mould all the time in our place. Mm. Now, I wanted to mention one thing when we talked about IBCs and wicking beds. Mm. The other thing you can do is don't drill a hole in the bottom. Uh-huh. But, well, you can drill a hole. Yeah, it's a good idea. But about 10, 15 centimetres. But put uh, old twigs and logs in the bottom. You know, no, no, don't, no trees of pine or anything like that. But if you've got old branches, chop them up, put those in. We've also put uh, chopped veggie materials in, you know, old stalks and that sort of thing. And then put your... Um, soil in and it's virtually a form of hugo culture and i don't know whether you've come across hugo culture before it was uh, it's it's a thing which has been going for about what would it be now 40 50 60 years but the idea is growing your plants in soil over rotting timber and the theory is that the timber provides nutrients and it provides warmth if it's big enough but uh it, it's a good method worth thinking about and um we tried it on raised beds uh, in the ground, and uh, it became a haven for things burrowing in. So I stopped that. <laughs> I stopped that. But, well, I, I looked up the title the other day, Bob, and it said the heart of the hoogle bed conceals a fertile secret: dead, decaying wood, logs, and large branches yes. uh, pull double duty, providing both physical structure for the bed and a steady supply of moisture and nutrients in the plants growing above. Yes, it's excellent. It really is. And uh, a lot of people are also starting to do a very similar sort of thing in large pots. If you're putting, let's say, small trees in large pots, you can, or large pots, you can always put a bit of vegetation, rotting vegetation, compost and the like at the bottom of the pot before you put your soil mix in. And these, these are sort of organic approaches. You're, in effect, you're feeding the plants, but you're feeding the soil as well. Uh, one thing one needs to push all the time is soil is not a sterile medium. Uh, it's full of microorganisms which are benefiting the plants, releasing nutrients and uh, decomposing stuff. And I think a, a good, strong, living, organic soil is the way to go. I don't worry about worms in. I like worms in, actually. But uh, no, and that's what you've got to do. At the moment, I'm doing a lot of cold composting. I'm shredding an awful lot of material but I'll be 
blunt and basic. I'll probably put some people off their breakfast. I also <laughs> feed it with my urine and that sort of thing. Thanks for that, Bob. That was really nice. Um, what is the secret? What is the good? The secret to making good compost? <sighs> Mixtures. Well, if you read it up, they'll talk about the browns and the greens. Uh, the idea that you can use the green stuff, which is your uh, lawn clippings, are an excellent harvest. Shredded. I've got a big shredder, so I actually shred branches and trees, stuff and everything like that, all leaves and everything. I put all sorts of stuff through the shredder. But I also put in the brown stuff, which is uh, wet cardboard, as long as it's non-toxic. Wet cardboard. It has to be wet, does it? Well, yeah, you want it to be moist so that you've got decomposition growing. I've got all sorts of stuff. And as I just mentioned, disgustingly, I actually pour urine on as well to feed the soil. Uh, Well, Bob, on that note, that's adding urea or nitrogen to the mix, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's a quiet, fair car. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get a word in with you two, but that's okay. Listen, Maggie's just come in to me and said, uh, my boss here, look, remember, one of the best vegetables we've grown in the last few years is Chinese kale, kaolin. If you see that with seedlings, get that because it's got it, it does superb flowering tops. You can ho- use the whole plant, pick and pick again. Uh, well done. I saw you did broccolini. The other thing she's just added is <coughs> shredded paper, which we get from our hen run. Uh, yeah, we're doing that. Mm-hmm. So, well, it, it doesn't look as good. It's white and everything, but uh, we get shredded paper from everywhere. And uh, again, bluntly in Anglo-Saxon, the hen shit on it. And they're producing a very good mix, which we then dig into that cold. I do cold composting. I don't have a good source of animal manure other than that hen stuff. So uh, I just let it go over several months. I've got quite a few racks of it just going. It's going great. And then I can start using that on the various beds. Now, let's be clear about the paper. Um, Newspaper? The printer's ink won't uh, damage the... uh... Modern inks are often vegetable oil-based. They'll smear very easily. I honestly, look, this is blunt. People go on about don't put coloured material in. If you actually knew how much colouring agent there was in terms of, let's say, copper or anything like that, the various copper organic compounds, it's incredibly small. And it probably acts, to my mind, as a micronutrient. I, I, I shred paper. I put cardboard in. Yesterday I was putting cardboard through the machine. I just moisten it because it will blast through. And then that just forms one of the layers. The next job I've got to do, Maggie's put on my list, is some mowing. And I'll use all the grass cuttings from there as another layer. Don't forget another approach you can take. I'm going on, aren't I? Um, Lasagna. The lasagna method of layering layering various layers as you get them. You know, you might have, uh, it might be buried food scraps. It might be stuff from your wormery. It might be greens. It might be this, that, and the other. But you actually build up a good growing layer. It still goes back to what I said before, a living soil. Lots of nutrients. Um, I don't use much at all in the way of synthetic fertilizers. I'm very much converted to go as organic as I can. And the other thing they know is that we don't spray in our garden. If we get if, if I get a bad aphid infestation of a broccoli, for example, or a cabbage, I throw it to the hens. Quite frankly, I don't bother to try and remedial uh, treat it. But 
we have loads of small birds. I was in the garden this morning just letting the hens and the ducks out and all the birds come down. I've got birds feeding. Oh, it's against the law to feed native birds. What a load of rubbish. Bob, you've got a wonderful habitat there. It's an ecosystem. There's something for everyone. And rather than focus on the the little aphids that are on one plant, you've got the whole whole package looking after itself. I've got, look, I'll, I'll guarantee you, it's almost embarrassing. I sit down for my morning tea in the morning and I have a crowd, literally a crowd of blue wrens come up. Bob, where's our feed? Come on, come on. And yeah. uh, we have blue wrens, which are marvellous scavengers of insects and everything. We have the little fire tails, which are more seed eaters. We have lots and lots of birds. And, of course, the honey eaters, uh, you know, they're, they're wonderful. They, they will eat anything. Oh. Well, congratulations. I think it's a credit to you and Maggie, what you've got there. And um, I know the Nanup Garden Festival is coming up again in August. And hopefully lots of our, our listeners will get down there and enjoy the festivities. You want to ask that question? I was going to put August the 13th to the 28th. Maggie said she's got the... Oh, it's the 25th anniversary this year, so we've actually got, we're actually planting 22,000 tulip bulbs. Wow. Well, nearly 25, but 22. We've oh. definitely got, we're trying to get the next lot of uh, tulip things. What was the date again, Bob? It's the 13th to the 28th. Of? Of August. In so man, we'll, we'll talk about it again yeah, sure. close to the time. Thank you very much for your time today, Bob. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's lovely to talk to you, Faye and Chris. Uh, really enjoyed your uh, good experience and uh, good luck with your gardening. You're there. most kind. And thank you very much for your advice and uh, the help. You've given me inspiration, sir. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Bob. Bye. Thank you so much. It's 27 minutes to 10. Uh, talking of um, garden festivals, there's one on tomorrow, isn't there? There is. The Kalamunda Garden Festival is on tomorrow from 9 till 2. I believe the weather problems are not coming in till later. So um, rain, hail or shine, it's going ahead. They have got 140 specialty stores uh -huh. at Sturk Park. Uh, there are appearances by Costa Georgiadis. He flew in to Perth the other night and he's been busy. He's up at the Mundaring Farmer's Market today. Uh -huh. So Lucky big, them. big day tomorrow for sure. Hope he's not being followed by a camera crew anyway. So he can get around and talk to people more pleasantly without uh, the media looking over his shoulder all the time. Now the forecast tomorrow says the chance of squally thunderstorms in the afternoon and the early evening. And you know with the Weather Bureau, they take a very positive attitude, but generally... The weather tends to come in a lot later than they predict. So hopefully it'll be fine tomorrow morning and into the afternoon for the Kalamunda Garden Festival. Now, Chris, we did get an email in from Alan of Rockingham. Yeah. He's cut open the fruits that he's found in his grass tree. Uh -huh. And it looks to me like there are some little seeds inside. Initially, I thought the these fruits looked like olives. But in fact, they could be a guava or something similar. So... Once again, we do think that maybe a bird has dropped them or the other thing that could happen, something could be nesting in there. Like some of the fruits are food for lizards and or rats. So, yeah, Alan, just keep a check because something could be building a nest there. Otherwise, kids may have just pegged them at each other and they've an ended up in the grass tree. But definitely they're fruits of some sort, I'd say. 
Right, the time is approaching 25 minutes to 10. This is your chance in the last half hour of the programme to get your calls in and to rack Faye's brains for all she knows about things, problems, maybe suggestions, some advice. While we have her on the radio this morning, you have the telephone number, 94841927. Go to the phone now, give us a call, and then uh, we'll get you some answers. And you can make the most of today and hopefully most of tomorrow too. And we have got some emails coming, Good. Chris. And I, a little birdie told me that one of our special listeners, Florence, mm. is not very well. She's at home again now. She's got a magnificent garden in South Lake. She listens to us. In fact, on Mother's Day, we read one of her beautiful poems. So, Florence, if you're listening, I'd like to send you a get well wish from all of us here me and too. hope that you are well on the road to recovery and get better really quickly. You do that. Okay, Florence, get well. Now, Judy from Trigg has sent in a query. She also said thanks for giving me tips on the citrus leaf miner last week. Her elder sister gave me gave her a twisted bamboo seven years ago. It lives in the bedroom. However, we were bombarded by little tiny black flying insects and it appeared that the pot was infested. She's used fly spray and now uh, and drowned the pot with the hose and now they've gone. Do we know why? Well, quite possibly it is the work of fungus gnats and they are small insects that when disturbed will fly out in a little cloud. And this can be because the soil becomes too wet, the larva burrow, burrow in and they can eat the roots. Now, one thing you can do is put a layer of little rocks across the surface and you can also sprinkle cinnamon. Both of these act as a deterrent. Uh, I would consider repotting the plant to keep it in good nick and that would mean using an indoor potting mix. Uh, it'll be nice and nice and clean. It'll give the plant a boost, put it into a, a new pot and the leaves are brown on the end. So just get a pair of scissors and snip off the brown bits and that will instantly make the plant look better. And if you're using a good quality potting mix, you don't have to worry too much about fertiliser because there will be some in the pot. But a, a liquid feed occasionally would also help or a really weak solution of fertiliser. And you can spray that over the leaves as a foliar spray and also pour it into the pot. So, yeah. Judy, I hope that helps. Oh, the board's lining up it with is, calls. Uh, and I'll, I'm quickly going to whiz through these, yeah. Chris. Um, Pam from Morley has sent in a photo of a beautiful succulent pot and she said all the plants were at ground level when she bought them. Does she need to pot the whole thing or just chop bits off? Well, we were talking to Bob about plants that maybe get too big and lanky. And one of the plants in this pot is one of the Kalanchoes. I think it's Felden Shockey Arna or something along those lines. And this can become a very big rampant plant. So you can either cut it back and it will bush out again. Perfect for in the garden, makes wonderful borders of easy to maintain foliage and, and low water use. Um, other ones in the pot, like you can even take off the leaves, let them dry off and replant them. They will develop roots and they will start new little plants. So that will help cover the pot and fill it up. 
when you see succulent pots for sale, gosh, they look magnificent. And I often wonder how long it will be before these succulents mm-hmm. outgrow their space. Others you see planted and they look quite sparse, but that's because they've left room for them to fill. And, you know, that might be a better purchase, um, enjoying them as they fill out. Good. But, yes, like Bob says, Pam, you can't go wrong. Just give it, give it a go. Have a play with it. Felicity wants to know when's the time to prune hydrangeas. Well, I tidy mine up when the leaves have gone daggy, they're yellow, they start to go brown. Uh, remove the spent flower heads. The ones that haven't flowered will flower next year. You can do it now or certainly in winter time, but they won't start growing until the weather warms up, which is around spring. Cut back to two fat buds. Now, I I often propagate when I prune my hydrangeas. Mm-hmm. I just um, tidy up the cuttings, put them into a pot. You can put a dozen in one pot and divide them up when they get roots. The other thing is the long straight stems. I take the buds and leaves off and I make bug hotels. Or otherwise you can bundle all the stems and just hang them up in a dry space. Tiny little reed bees will nest in them, Chris. Fabulous. Wonderful. That brings us right up to 20 minutes to 10 and we do have calls coming up. So Anna, Susan and Bill, stay where you are. We'll be back in a moment. It's 18 minutes to 10. It's marching along the time. It doesn't wait for any man. And we've got lots of calls coming up. Do you know, Faye, I just had a call from somebody I used to work with on the mind side. Morning, Greg. I don't know which polling station you're at, but I know you're doing a fabulous job for whoever you may be handing out cards to. But it's nice to know that at the polling station, they're listening to Curtin (laughs) FM. That is funny. So... They'll be listening and learning all about bugger hotels, Chris, exactly. and sustainable gardening and wicking beds. And going to your website, sorry, to your Facebook oh. page to look at your bees. Oh, my goodness. Wonderful. And Jim Crinan will be playing a whole plethora, as you two say, after 10 o'clock this morning <laughs> until midday. And then it's country music all through the afternoon from midday until 6. Right, back to the phones. We're talking um, to Anna in Armadale about lemon trees. Good morning, Anna. Good morning. I was wondering... And what I could do for my lemon tree, it has uh, it has lots of fruit, but it has um, black. I'm sorry, brown patches in it and very little juice. It's all woody. I was told it was a boron deficiency last season. I gave it lots of boron. Hasn't helped a great deal, if at all. Mm. What do I do? What's it missing? Well. Anna, you're in Armadale, so that, yeah, it, it doesn't tell me a great deal. Have you fertilised the plant at all? Yes, I have. Okay, and what fertiliser do you use? Oh, the gardener put it on, he bought it and put it on for me. It was a complete fertiliser and also a, uh, what do you call it, she- blended, uh, blended manure fertiliser. Okay. all right. What, what I was looking for was the complete fertiliser, so that's great. And what I love about a, a controlled complete fertiliser is that it has a range of trace elements. So if our listeners are applying this a couple of times a year, we tend to think that they've covered their bases in relationship to nutrients. The fact that it, it's got the the brown spots and dry, I think might be a water issue. And 
water then comes back to soil. So it's not only about how much water you're applying, it's also is it hanging around the plant. So compost and mulch are very important because citrus have very shallow roots. So a layer of mulch is fantastic. It, it stops the soil from drying out. If you were to put a compost and clay blend under that, it, what it does is it, it feeds the plant and the roots and it also helps keep the water and nutrients in the soil. You can use a wetting agent and that will also help. So All right, thank we, you. We kind of can't change what's happened in the past, but if you know that going forward, you, you can, can start to rectify that problem in the warmer months and particularly when citrus are developing their fruit they need a lot of water yes i realize that okay does that help anna all right thank thank you very much i shall try all of the above okay (laughs) all right thank Thank you you for your call have a lovely weekend Bye-bye. So from Armadale, let's move across to Safety Bay. We're getting called, so we've got to keep the customers satisfied, as Simon and Garfunkel would say. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. How are you both this morning? Very good, thank you. Gorgeous, gorgeous autumn day. Absolutely. How can we help you today? Okay, well, I did try to call in last week when the gentleman with the pond knowledge was on. Um, We we kind of inherited a, a pond. Um, and we're down to three pretty good-sized goldfish now. Um, uh, over the uh, over the last twelve, thirteen years, we've we've lost most of them for cats or you know whatever. But anyway, they're um, I would say it's probably a six foot six foot kidney-shaped pond thereabouts. Um, and um, we have trouble with them. I've tried all sorts of plants. And they eat everything. Really? Um, yes. The last thing that I've uh, I actually bought on Facebook was um, this lady was moving and she had this uh, pond that had tons of um, water lilies. And so I bought a, you know, a couple of big bunches of those and we bought them in and I stuck them in pots and weighed them down so they're under the water and, and we're down to one plant. They've mm. eaten them all. And we feed them um, regularly, every day. Um, with my husband, you know, he was starting to get concerned as well. But we've tried everything. When we first moved in, they had this long, beautiful, feathery-looking sword-like plant that was floating on the top. And I don't know what happened because I actually had to remove lots of it because it was growing that fast. Mm. And multiplying that fast, but it was great because they had a place to hide under, and I mean they're they're completely sheltered by a tree, so there's no birds or anything that bother mm. them. It's just been, um, um, yes. Okay, so, my understanding was um, goldfish didn't eat the plant so much. I thought it was koi that were destructive. Okay, but moving on yes. from that, uh, yes. I would think canners would would be very tough, and I don't think. The goldfish would eat them. Uh, Azola or, or duckweed multiplies prolifically in the warmer months, and I don't think that the goldfish would um, be able to out eat it. Uh, and and giving them a variety so that they have got something to eat is probably a good idea. 
And the other thing is you could perhaps put a cage or create a barrier where the fish can't get into where your plants are growing. But be oh, careful I, about I the metal it. because... No, no, I tried it with... Um, I actually put uh, pavers and put the pots in a, 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 on the water but just below the water. Anyway, they still managed to get it. <laughs> so it was just... I, I don't know how they managed to get the roots, but they still managed to get it. I wonder it. if there's something else eating the plants. Like, for oh. example, the canners will be up out of the water, so yes. the goldfish wouldn't be able to eat them. So oh, no, that style no. of it's plants? more to go in the water to give them coverage so that they um, so that they have a, a shelter because, um, as I said, this stuff that was originally there, I don't know what okay. is killing it off. I've but, got a yeah. solution for you, Susan. Oh, good. You yes. can get floating baskets that go into the water. So it's a net pot, the roots can hang down and the foliage will grow up out of the water and hang over. So in that you could plant Ah. anything that likes water. There's Lebanese watercress, there's mint, there's coriander even. So if you buy the little cups at the Asian stores with their roots still in it, you could even float it in polystyrene. Oh, I actually, I've, I've, I've got like four pots of uh, coriander going at the moment. Um, I, I grew from seed. Okay. I, um, so yes, yeah. investigate That's the awesome. floating pots. All Thanks right. for Thank your you call. So much. No trouble. Lovely to have your call, and lovely to have you on the program, Susan. We have a couple of calls uh, waiting at the moment. Bill and Sarah, don't go away. We have to make one more pause, and then we will return. Curtain Radio. We have just under about eight minutes till the news. No, we don't have news. We have Jim Grinan instead at 10 o'clock with the 70s show. But we have calls. We need to get back to the phones because we're off to Gidjigan up to talk to Bill. Good morning, Bill. What do you need to know about Davidson Plums? Oh, hi. Yeah, just got a query on Davidson. And um, I'd ask, like to ask Faye her opinion on a, another matter too. Um, Faye, I've been trying to grow Davidson Plums in pots for quite a while now and I've gone through a a few. I've got a couple in um, probably 30 centimetre pots that are just hanging in there and um, I'm just wondering if you've got any advice to maybe so my success rate might be a bit higher because um, I just don't seem to have any luck. Okay. Um, I don't know a lot about them, Bill, so tell me if I'm correct. Are these marketed as a bush tucker plant? They are. Okay. And I think they're from the the east coast Subtropic. of Australia. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, in Queensland, New South Wales. Okay. Um, so, yeah, which and they're a large growing tree. No, not that large. Um, oh, well, mine definitely aren't. They're, they're a large leaf. They've got that subtropical thing. I've got them in the shade keep the water up to them so I don't and they're protected from winds used mm. to be a fantastic one down at men of the trees in Hazelmere and there was a little cafe there Bolt Coffee and they had one that was just brilliant but it was right out in the open and every time I went there I used to marvel at it mm. And but I cannot um, replicate what they were doing down there Okay, I, I tend to think that that some of these plants are from a more tropical region. So they have warmer temperatures generally and they grow as an understory plant, hence the big leaves. So 
in time they would probably be fine. You know, a 30 centimetre pot is probably not a very big pot. Uh, if if it was in an environment that it had optimum conditions, so maybe in a hot house, so protected from wind, didn't get the extremes of our cold, it would possibly do better, grow more, require a bigger pot, or if it was in the ground where it was happy, it would grow better. But you know, sure. pots can can be a bit of a struggle. You know, I know the one to answer this would be Mark Tuchek. So I what I can do, Bill, is find out more question more on about notice. it. Uh-huh. Mm. No, 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 that's okay. I'll 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 persevere with them. I just keep I'll keep the sea soul, et cetera, up to them. These ones are doing better than I've had before. But the other query I've got, I'd just like to ask your opinion. Uh, I went to a local nursery up here last year, and um, I was after some 100-litre bags with um, Chinese tallows in them. Yes. Anyway, so I went in, I purchased them. They weren't cheap, and um, <clears throat> being 100-litre, obviously had to dig big holes, etc. Anyway, so I dug the huge big holes. And, that, and then when I went to put the plants in the holes that I dug, I cut the bags and as I, all the soil fell off, but not only did all the for, soil fall off, it was actually bulking up the bags was old plants that had died from <gasps> like um, 100, 150 mil pots, etc. Oh no. And I just thought, and they, some of them still had their stems on them and they were so that what they were, they were obviously from thirty five litre bags that had been just recently potted up, but he had actually used um dead plants to bolt the bag up and I was just wondering, do you that's not a very good practice. No, and I no, it's not. Um and I don't think you would find that from an accredited nursery. I you know, so Well this, um, this is a um pretty it's a local nursery, but I won't mention the name, but no. um I did go back and I had a go at him because and he, he tried to shun me off and he said, well, you asked for 100 litre. And I said, well, yeah, I did. But um, after a fair bit of complaining, he actually did give me some money back. But um, he was very reluctant. And I just said, well, don't worry, I won't be coming back here again. Thank you. Mm. End, of, end of story. It doesn't sound like a good practice, Bill. Mm. And, no, you know, okay. last week no, we okay. talked about, you know, when, when you get your babies home, looking taking plants out of the pot, looking at uh, the soil, the roots, etc. Yeah, I'd be quite wary going forward. Um, and whether he did that himself or whether he bought that stock in would be another. No, he did. He, he yeah. told me he that's what he does. Okay. And I just I said, well, it's not a very good practice. And I just said, don't worry, I'll I'll go out to Wanneroo next time. Don't worry about it. Mm. So. Thanks right. for your call, Bill. We must move on. We're getting close to uh, 10 o'clock now, and Sarah in Queen's Park wants to talk about geraniums. Morning, Sarah. Good morning. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Um, I had a... I, to do age down in the community, I had a client, and they gave me a little geranium, but they haven't grown very big, and when the leaves grow on it, they're, they're not a full leaf, they're three-quarters, and they're quite pointy. So, so I was just wondering if it's a real old-fashioned geranium or not. Are you able to send us a photo, Sarah? I can do that, yes. All right, yep, and I can look into it. But I, I can tell you geraniums are starting to put on a bit of a show after the, the hot summer. Um, I, I've got a heap growing out the back and 
they're just looking after themselves in their pots. But I'll tell you what, you put well, these, them... These, these are in the ground. Yep. And I've had them in the ground for about 12 months. They haven't grown much more. They're quite bushy. And I have a pretty little red flower. They don't look like a normal geranium, but it hasn't got any flowers on it at the moment. Okay. And maybe take a couple of cuttings and put them into to some pots... Uh, with some slow-release fertiliser and give them a regular liquid fertiliser and I bet you'll get more results. Put them in a sunny position too. All right, okay, I will try that. I will also send you a photo and you can get back to me about them. Look forward to it. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Bye. That's Sarah gone. Only time for one more call. Let's squeeze, if we may, uh, in a nice way. Uh, Sue from Forestfield in is the last caller of the morning. Morning, Sue. (laughs) Hi, Sue. Squeeze in properly. Yep, quick, go quick. (laughs) Quick. Uh, 20 plus years ago, I pulled out a bougainvillea, or five bougainvilleas. One I actually couldn't pull out, so my husband drilled holes in it. We filled it up with blackberry poison, diesel, you name it, it had it. Right. Now, about a month ago, all of a sudden, I got a plant shoot up from the old stem. Yes. (laughs) What a hardy plant that one is. It's a survivor. A phoenix. Yes. I mean, I mean, this is 20 plus years ago, this plant was killed and it was cut right down under the ground and drilled holes in it and all the poison you can think of put into it and all of a sudden it shut out again. How's that possible? <laughs> it's a story of survival. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they can do that as yours obviously has... Well, I, I can only say that it wasn't. It wasn't dead. It was just dormant. And there you go. Well, obviously it wasn't dead, but I mean that's twenty odd years ago. I, I, I was, I was gobsmacked. Born again. <laughs> that's what it is. An, an interesting story. So, well, have another crack at it. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, I'll have another go at it. Yeah, okay. All right. Thank you, Sue. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, that's it. We've done it. We've we've made ten o'clock, and I've had such fun. Thank you for allowing me to share the morning with you, Faye. Thank you, Chris. We will be back. That is to say, the program Let's Talk Gardening next Saturday morning, as usual, between eight and ten. And Ray will be back in the chair. Faye will be here, and we're looking forward to meeting and greeting you then, because we're always here, as uh, Jim Crinan is, and it's his program next. Have a good day. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.